You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Welcome to the Midweek Mailbag here on Pride of Detroit Podcast Network, we'll call it. Uh, my name is Jeremy Reisman. I'm the manager over at Pride of Detroit. Find me at Detroit Online. With me, as always, to answer your questions live here on twitch.tv slash Pride of Detroit is the managing editor of Pride of Detroit. You can find him at Eric Schlitt on Twitter. It's Eric Schlitt. Hey, buddy. How's it going? We're hanging in there, Eric, aren't we? <laughs> I think that's probably the best way to put it. I hate losses. Hate losses. They're rough. And when it comes like that week did where, I don't know, it's not that a win was necessarily expected, but you you came into that game almost more worried about the offense just because of all the injuries. And you're like, we know the defense is bad. We know the Seahawks offense is maybe better than their points per game indicated. But I don't think anyone expected that. I don't think anyone expected the Lions to put up 45 points and mm. never lead in that game, never even tie in that game beyond the, the 0-0 there. So frustrating game to watch when Jared Goff and, and TJ Hawkinson and, and Jamal Williams did everything in humanly possible to keep them in that game, and yet they were always a step behind just the defense giving it away. Or the special teams... Uh... Missing the kick, right? Sure. Um, but yeah, but you even know, the offense, like the, the offense converted two two point conversions. They essentially yeah. erased the special teams mistakes. They, again, they, mm-hmm. they did everything humanly possible to keep them in that game, despite everyone else messing it up. The, 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 I think the, the part that I was the most surprised about was that Aaron Glenn didn't adjust. And that's something we've seen pretty consistently from him during his time here. Right. And um, even at the half, you know, I, I was saying to you like, Hey, these they make halftime adjustments, like, you know, all the time. Right. And, and like, right. you've, you've seen this team make halftime adjustments and find success and do better. Whereas the Seattle up until that point in their first three games, they had make, they were terrible at making halftime adjustments. And so it seemed like if, as long as they hung around, uh, couple adjustments here and there and and you know the, the offense keeps clicking then this was still a winnable game at the half even though they looked terrible you expected those halftime adjustments to come and when they didn't that's when i think uh panic started to set in yeah and obviously uh we're we're recording this on tuesday the the fire aaron glenn crowd has had 48 hours to to get it out of their system i mean it's not going to happen <laughs> you know i don't think dan campbell could have made it more clear that he still believes in aaron glenn and Listen, yeah. you know, we were we literally were on this podcast last week talking about is it okay to be disappointed with how he started? And I think some people called it premature last week. And now sure. not a lot of people would, would call that conversation premature. 
Mm-hmm. But I think firing is is an entirely different conversation. One, I don't think we're even going to bother to get into because one, it's not going to happen. Two, it is premature. And and I think we 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 pointed out why last week. Like this, the you can say all all you want about Aaron Glenn as as a player developer, as someone who can teach and connect with his players. The the jury is still very much out on his ability to play call. And and maybe even develop um, a, a game plan. Those things are are new to him, and and something that he hasn't proved he can do on a consistent mm-hmm. basis. And I think, you know, I know we haven't even gotten to a question yet, but I think I think the thing that stuck out to me most in the negative for Aaron Glenn was his inability to call plays in critical downs. You know, the lines were were nine, or the Seahawks were nine of twelve on on mm-hmm. third down. Again, they were almost perfect in the red zone. And and these are these are now. I think the lines are last in both those categories. Now they're, they're last in third down defense or last in red zone defense. Those are the critical downs. And you see yeah. teams scheming up stuff like the, the, the draw play to Geno Smith was something where they caught the, the lions doing something that they've been doing all season, which is over pursuing on, on their pass rush, leaving wide open lanes. And then, you know, the amount of times they go man to man. Well, when you do that, you leave your quarterback kind of unattended for because everyone else has got their back turned. So mm. I don't know. It, it feels like they're getting out coached on those critical downs because you watch that game and the Lions defense had that backed up a lot, a mm-hmm. lot. Like they were in third and 15s. They were in second and, and 20s, second mm-hmm. and 25s. And the Lions just could not close out those drives, could not get off the field. They're, the opportunities were all over the place, but on those critical downs, it seemed like the Seahawks were one step ahead. Yeah, it. I mean, there's so many things that I want to talk and like expand off of what uh, what you just said. Like, I don't even know which one to, which way to go. <laughs> uh, to be honest with you, um, so I don't know. Maybe we should get some questions because yeah. you made a lot of good points, but I'm sure a lot of them are gonna questions are gonna come up too. So, thank you for keeping me on track here. Uh, yeah. So <laughs> let, let's start with the one I've seen a couple. Uh, places um, iffy. Um, why have we not seen more Ifatu Melifanwu? Um, you know, why Why do they start rookie Kirby Joseph in his first career NFL action? Not just first career start, his real first career defensive action, I should say. Um, mm. So, I, I, yeah, let me let me throw that to you. Why Why haven't we seen Iffy yet through, through four weeks? Because he's adjusting to playing safety would be my guess. And yeah. um, he... I mean, he didn't really have a training camp. He missed half the spring um, and it's in the middle of a position switch. So it's not surprising that even, even though Kirby is only got a year of starting experience, he's been playing the position for three. And so it's a little bit more, I think uh, it's a little easier to to go with him. He also has a more translatable skill set. Uh, that complements Elliot as well, right? He can be that single high. He has the speed and the range to do that. Uh, we've yet to see that from Iffy just because he's been injured, right? So I think that's really what it came down to. Um, obviously, they had a competition, and obviously uh, it, uh, Kirby looked better, and so he gets a start. I guess the question now is, you know, with with Dan Campbell saying this week, you know, we're gonna we're gonna change some personnel around. We're gonna we're yeah. gonna shift some guys off. Do you think Iffy finds a role somewhere? In this defense, do they maybe consider pushing back to corner with maybe the struggles that that Amani's going through, or I don't know, do they do they do more three safety sets and, and find a way to just get him on the field? Maybe, I mean, it's it's possible. Yeah, um, I, they could I, they could go so many different ways. It's 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 kind of crazy to me. Um, my kind of assumption on the spots that have looked the weakest 
have been uh, slot coverage yep. and that interior defensive tackle. I think running with those two uh, nose tackles isn't doing anything because they're not, I mean, I don't even know if they're holding their ground. They're definitely not getting laterally the nose tackles like um, bugs and, and Benito Jones. And so um, those are my guesses is that you're going to start, you're going to change how that front looks. Uh, you may even change and have them two gap a little bit more, which is going to put a little bit more pressure on your linebackers, which is a little scary. Uh, but my guess is it's going to be the, the, how the front looks and then that, that kind of nickel coverage. Um, I went back to watch the, the game and I was like on the second play and I was already like, Oh my gosh, Mike Hughes, what are you doing? Yeah. And so, um, and it's little stuff. It's little stuff. Like, okay. The, the play that like the, that I'm referring to here, he is, he sets up, uh, they, they run two wide receivers to the right and he sets up on that side with, um, O-R-E-A. and you can see him pre-play turn and look to Amani and they're, they've connected, they're communicating yeah. pre-snap. When the play unfolds, um, they also have over top, over top safety with Kirby. And when the play unfolds, immediately Amani is already starting to bail because he's taking deep outside leverage and Kirby has deep inside leverage. And so Mike basically just has to pass off whichever guy's going deep. So he holds his ground. They both run one turns. The outside guy turns to the outside. The inside guy goes, but he's, I don't know why he does this, but he turns with the inside guy. And so now all three guys are looking at the inside. Then he recognizes, oh, I'm on the wrong guy and turns and bails. But by that point, you've given up an eight yard reception. And like right. you saw stuff like this a lot. And so when we're you're talking about miscommunications and misassignments and um, not trusting each other, yeah. like those things are part of it, because yeah. in this system, you, you look at the guy and you say, I'm going to pass my guy off to you. And when he does that, you don't turn with him. You, you, now you have to loop all the way around to try and get back to your guy. Like, and there's little things like that, but they create separation. Those separations create easy plays. And then they just started just, they, they did that all, all game. And it was, that's part, that's a frustrating thing. And I know I'm picking on Hughes, uh, but there's other, it, this is, they're guilty of that at, at different spots throughout the defense as well. Yeah, and and Dan Campbell went on ninety seven won the ticket today and and talked, you know, he talked about the secondary and, and and said something like, you know, these guys we we didn't these guys haven't been playing together very long at all. Basically, mm -hmm. everyone who's out there right now wasn't out there at the end of last year. Like every single person, and that's something I hadn't really thought about. Like, yeah, that's true. Like every single guy that's out there basically wasn't part of Lions secondary at the end of last year. But that excuse can only get you so far, right? A lot of these guys have been working together pretty much all training camp. And to see the the communication breakdowns, the lack of trust in each other, the the mis you know, just misreads, things like that. We're 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 past that first month, fellas. And and Aaron Glenn said last week, you know who you are by week four. Well, mm -hmm. secondary is not looking too good right now. And and I think you're you're right on top of the, the defensive line stuff as well. And that's why Campbell said, it sounds like we're going to, we're going to get some Demetrius Taylor Taylor this week for the first time. The question is who does that come at the expense of? And I think everyone is itching for it to be Michael Brockers and maybe it is, but he, it's not, he's not even out there that much. Right. Yeah. If anything, it's, it's the other nose tackles that are hurting you. Right. Like, yeah. um, 
I know I said like they might go to more two gapping, but the thing is, is you found something in a lean by putting him at the three. And so I could see them switching to two, three techniques instead of, and and kind of moving away from that nose and just, uh, I I know a lot of people are saying they're going to be less aggressive, less attacking, less one gapping. I could see them actually going the opposite and trying to be spread them out a little bit more and, and, and try and get guys in there that actually can penetrate uh, because that's, that's what they're lacking right now. Yeah, no question. Um, definitely getting a lot of defensive questions today, and maybe yeah. that's all we're going to talk about because honestly, <laughs> um, you know that those are, there's not a lot of questions on offense. The offense is rolling. Um, yeah. let, let's go. Let's go to this one because uh, Josh Pascal will will be returning to practice this week. This week, according to Dan Campbell, we won't see him probably on the field until um, you know a week or two after the bye. Maybe maybe after the bye, but probably a little bit more than that. Um, yeah. I lost. Oh, there it is. Probably going to be a long theme for question today, but how much could the return of Pascal help the defense as a whole? Or are we just overvaluing the shiny new toy? And we could probably throw Jerry Jacobs into this conversation as well, honestly, who Mm -hmm. also will return to practice this week, but probably not expected to return until after the bye. With Pascal, you're getting an elevated version of Kaminsky, which they're lacking right now. And that's, that is a massive appeal to that defensive line because it will allow you to move Aiden into better spots. It will allow you to not have to face double teams every time. Right. So getting Pascal back is low key, a pretty important um, move. And I know everybody is fascinated by Jerry and everybody thinks Jerry's going to come in and and knock Omani off or I, you know, maybe Mike, maybe Mike uses the guy that's a little bit more vulnerable. Right. Even though you got chase Lucas there who maybe, maybe ready, maybe not i don't know there. Uh, but um but i think you know jerry is going to bring a spark jerry's a guy that this coaching staff trusts and um i think he'll battle i don't think he's just going to walk in and knock Amani off though i don't i mean right. that's even though i i know that's what people are clamoring for but low-key i think uh i think Pascal is a, is a much bigger ad because he opens up what they can do on that defensive line and that has a ripple effect yeah, I mean, the question is just how quickly can he hit the ground running, right? Because he hasn't practiced mm-hmm. since OTAs, and we're talking about a rookie here. So yep. it's going to take a while for him to acclimate. And and the question is also, you know, how how quickly can he acclimate in practice to earn the coaching staff's trust to be out there? Is it, mm-hmm. you know, Green Bay, after which I believe is the game after the Cowboys? Is it after that, which I have to pull up the schedule here? Um Dolphins or something like that, it, you know, it, it, it's, it's, mm-hmm. it's, 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 it's Cowboys, Dolphins, Packers, Bears. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I think, I think if you're being optimistic, maybe that Dolphins game. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, but it, I, I guess it, it's possibly Dallas, but, but sure. I don't know. There's that bye week. It's not like they're practicing during the bye week, though. Yeah. I mean, you might get some of the guys coming off injury trying to rehab a little bit, but yeah, they're not running uh, walkthroughs or anything like that. Um, but again, I think you're talking about 10, 15 snaps a game. So I think he can give that to you. You know what I mean? If you come in and you say, hey, look, I know you're not going to learn the whole defense at this stage, but if you have these 10 or 15 snaps and we're going to ask you to do this job and you just do your job and don't worry about the rest, I think that's a way that he can be impactful. And then you can take Aiden, move Aiden, and then you can expand what he does because he's a guy who's been here and wa- walking through things and and he's more flexible like that. So I, I think you st- you started out small, but you can still have a big impact in that small dose. The the other question, and a lot of people are asking about it in our live chat here, is, is what about Kaminsky? Because mm-hmm. it didn't put him on IR when he injured yeah. himself in week one. Is that right? Week one or no, two. week two. Week two. two. 
So mm-hmm. that, I mean, mathematically speaking, seems like they would expect him to be back pretty soon. Maybe, yeah. maybe he's one that, that misses this Patriots game and is ready for Dallas. So now what happens when you have Kaminsky and Pascal in the lineup? That's all the better. Just allows you to be even more, uh, more, more flexible. Right? Yep. Yeah. Right. Because now you can get, um, now you can, if you, you can add Pascal on one side, uh, Kamitsky at like a three, Aleem at a nose, Aiden at another three, and then another Charles, addresser. And, Charles, and then you yeah. can run five. Yeah. You know I mean? That can be like your NASCAR. Like you can put an Aquara on one side or a Harris, like, and you can, you just have, when you have three guys that can play inside, outside, and you're lacking pressure on the inside, well, move those guys inside more. And if you get them inside more, you get them matched up against guards, you get better opportunities for penetration and to get home. So, yeah, the fact that they have an IR at him is, is really surprising to me. I mean, sure. especially after a surgery. Uh, well, so, right. Yeah. Well, yeah. I felt the same way about Jonah, too. And, and at this point, it seems sure. like maybe it would have made more sense to put IR in Jonah. He's already missed you know, four <laughs> games, and I don't. I don't, I don't, I don't feel like he's probably not going to play this fifth game either, but you listen to him talk and he's saying he thinks he can make, come back before the bye. But then you also hear him say, yeah, I can't, be, I can't bend my finger yet. And for <laughs> right. two people, for two people yeah. who have recovering hand injuries, <laughs> we, we know that that's not kind of, that's not how that works, it right? Like, yeah, you don't, you don't just wake up one day and it's like, oh, I can bend it now and it's fine. Uh-uh, it takes a while. Like, and so the fact, yeah, that he didn't when he didn't go on IR, that was a bit surprising to me as well. Now, I mean, look, there are new IR rules where you can only return eight players sure. from IR, but the I mean, but look, they've they've as far as IR goes, you've only got three guys on IR. And who knows if Vitae's coming back? Who knows if Levi's coming back? So, and you know, Tracy's not. So uh, Kramer is really your only guy that's going to take one of those eight spots. So it, it does seem a little bit unusual to not IR either of those guys with like, but that tells you that they're anticipating that they're back. Maybe by that Dallas game, maybe by the Dolphins game. I, I feel like this roster could be completely different. Right. By, by the Dolphins game. Right. Um, wh- while we're kind of on the topic of these injured guys that, that are on reserve list, a couple of people asking about JMO. Yeah. Um, because yeah. Dan Campbell talked about a bunch of these guys on, on IR, or, you know, pup or whatever. Uh, mm-hmm. JMO was kind of left off that conversation for whatever reason. And I think yeah. some fans are now concerned that he's not as close to returning as, as maybe they thought we've seen videos of him highlight, you know, on, on the practice mm-hmm. field cutting and you and I yeah. even saw him doing some of that on, on the field uh, on Sunday. Um, yeah. So I, I guess what's your read on that? Do you, do you think maybe we should temper expectations and maybe yeah. we don't see him till after Thanksgiving? I don't, you know, I'm starting like, this is a very open coaching staff. Yeah. At the same time, some of the messages we've been getting from them the last couple of weeks have made me pause a little bit. <laughs> You know what I mean? Yeah. Because like Dave Fit basically came out and was like, yeah, I'm not worried about cyber. He's going to be fine. He's going to play. Everything's great. He's going to be out there today. And then he's like, no practice, no practice, no practice, no game. <laughs> right. And and it's like, oh, okay. So Dave Fit lies. And uh, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no. But I mean, like, um, I, I don't know if it's just them like looking glass half full or if it's I wasn't asked directly. So I'm not going to answer that directly. And like, and if you read his answer on the JMO question, he was like, well, I think Kabinda's ahead of those three guys that you mentioned. Right. So he kind of like skirted past, like yeah. actually addressing it. And I think that might have been purposeful because they, honestly, yes. they may not want 
to let anybody else know like when Jane was coming back or, or maybe he's not as far along. They don't want to rile people up. It's, it's hard, but I think until he Campbell gets a question of, Tell me where Jameson Williams is. I don't think you're going to get a direct answer. Dan Dan Campbell does not lie very often in front of the podium. In fact, sometimes he no. reveals too much. Yes, but he. Yes. I, I think you're absolutely on point that he sometimes purposefully omits things because sometimes yes. he'll he'll list guys before we're like on a, we're you know Wednesday press conference before practice he starts listing guys that aren't going to be at practice and then he just omits one like glaring one. It's just like oh Aiden <laughs> Hutchinson isn't here. Why didn't you tell us about that? <laughs> Well, well, now right. we're not gonna we're not gonna talk to Dan Gamble until Friday. No, Friday, so, yep. <laughs> and so I feel like he plays. I think you're right. I think he plays some of those games. And I'm also mm-hmm. when it comes to JMO, I I am not that like for some reason. Even though he didn't make it sound great on on Monday, I I feel like yeah, maybe maybe there is something at play here because I w- I mean I don't think they're gonna activate him this week in terms of getting him to practice. I don't think they'll. I'll th- I don't think he'll return to practice until after the bye week. Maybe a little mm-hmm. bit afterwards, but I, th- I think he is pretty close and I think yeah. they do want to get him. I, I don't, I don't think this is a case where it's like, Oh, we're not going to see Jameson Williams in his rookie year. They decided that behind the scenes and they're just not telling anybody. I think they right. want to see him out there. And yeah, <laughs> I know there's also the kind of this, this other narrative among the fans, like, well, do we need Jameson Williams? This team's putting up <laughs> 35 points a game. Like how much higher is the ceiling? How much, how much? And, and let's just, let's answer that question. Like what does Jameson Williams bring to this offense? that is already number one in the league in scoring. It's it's just going to stretch the defense, even for the defense further out. Right. Like, I don't know how many can you, you're not going to have like three and out problems a lot. You're going to also run into defenses that are better than the last couple that we've seen. So you're going to need a guy like him if you're going to. Yeah. Um, So he just, just, you, you just want more. You want, you want everything at your disposal that you can get. And if he doesn't catch a ball, he still may clear out like two, three guys because he's running a deep route that they have to, uh, they have to adjust for. And so, yeah, I, Adam, Adam, I know they can do it without, but do it with them too. Like put up 45 on, on a better defense with the Jamison Williams. Right. So, yeah, I mean, you got to imagine it. It not only clears up the middle of the field for guys like Amon Ra, for guys like TJ, who, you know, credit to Ben Johnson is already finding ways to get those guys open anyways. Mm -hmm. Um, And credit to those guys. I don't want to take away from their individual performances, but you have to imagine it eventually if he starts beating teams over the top, well, suddenly they're going to be in a too high shell for the rest of the game. And then you feed your running game and that, yeah. that gets even better. I think Swift is pretty good at getting yards above expectations, right? We saw sure. that chart today. Did you see that one? Yeah, I from did, the where where he's, he's like, just, everybody's here and he's like all the way up there. Yeah. It's like the yeah. Aaron Donald pass rush chart where he's just like in, in a completely <laughs> different era um, of, of everyone else. But like, yeah, hell, apparently J- Jamal Williams can also get a lot of yards after contact because he's, he surprised mm-hmm. me on, on Sunday. In, in a very that, good way. That run um, that he had for a touchdown, the second one, the one where he cut loose, went right, cut loose, he wasn't touched. The blocking was so good. He wasn't touched for 12 yards. Yeah. And then the defender didn't touch him. He touched the defender. Right. And then he wasn't touched again. Like he literally, <laughs> the only contact he had was him putting his hand into the mask of that guy and putting him on the ground. I was like, holy Jesus. Like that was just, it was just, pfft. Um, I want to see more running. I just do because like, there's so much more that comes from 
being able to, to run the ball. And you you've got to keep this defense off the field as long as you as much as possible. And if you can control the ball in addition to putting up 35, 45, 55 points, whatever they're gonna end up doing, like that's all the better. Yeah. All right, we're gonna take a break here when you come back answering more of your questions live here on twitch.tv slash pride of Detroit. If you want to join us every Tuesday afternoon, Uh, but we'll be right back answering more lions questions here on the pride Detroit midweek mailbag. Welcome back to the Midweek Mailbag. Myself, Jeremy Reisman, and Eric Schlitt here live on twitch.tv slash Pride of Detroit answering your questions, your burning questions, almost <laughs> all of them having to do with the defense, and understandably so. So let's let's go right back into it. Uh, we, we mentioned some of the changes that, that we might expect on really the defensive front. Let, let's talk a little bit more about the secondary there because I feel like we we brushed over it a little bit. We, we know Amani's struggling. We know Kirby's. Uh, was in there for the first time. We, we talked a little about Iffy, but do you think there are other guys there in the in the back seven, maybe specifically at at in the secondary that that could have an opportunity come uh, come Patriots week? Yeah, I I really think Akuda's safe, Elliot's safe, and it sure seems like they're ready to start investing in Kirby, which means that leaves Oarie and Hughes the most vulnerable. Um, I don't think they're going to change uh, Malcolm Rodriguez's role. It would right. be a little surprising if they changed Anzalone's role, but I would not rule it out. Um, yeah. Anzalone wanna... had a tough game. So I do think Anzalone, Hughes, Oarie could all be – I mean, they could all be in there or they could all be potentially vulnerable. The linebacker issue is interesting to me because, you know, the, the... – the thing that Dan Campbell keeps saying over and over again, that the problem with the team right now is that they're not, you know, one player is not doing his job and that's creating a snowball effect where someone is trying to compensate and it's building mistrust between players and let, you know, then everyone is losing confidence. Anzalone doesn't strike me as that kind of guy. He strikes me as as a guy who's mostly sound in his assignments, Mm -hmm. which means I don't think he's talking about him, even though Anzalone isn't playing particularly. I mean, they put that yeah. guy in front of the podium because they love him because they, tr- I, th- I think the coaching right. staff trusts a guy like Anzalone over pretty much everyone else. But at the same time, yep. they're still doing a lot of interesting linebacker rotation that kind of like we, we didn't see Derek Barnes for two weeks and then suddenly he gets, you know, 20, 30 snaps or whatever it was on yeah. Sunday. So Orton so- is all over the place, I think with, with his snap distribution. So mm-hmm. um, I'm not, I'm My not kinda- sure where they're going there. My idea on what their plan is, is sure. that you've got is Anzalone's the mic, Rodrigo's the will. Yeah. And then when one of those two guys in a, in their base set is not available, Barnes is the next guy up. Mm. Um, when you want a sub package guy, that's when you go to board. board. And right. that's kind of like what it's looked like to me. Like when, when uh, Malcolm had to exit, it was Barnes that came in to fill in for him, not board. Right. Because I think he gives them more what they want in their base set. Now, with the base set changing, who knows where they want to go with this, right? But um, I could see this defense starting to shift 
towards Malcolm being the guy who doesn't leave the field. As right, right now, Anzalone's the guy who doesn't leave the field. Malcolm plays about 80%. Do you make him in the mic? I, get, I don't you don't have to. You don't yeah. have to. Okay. You can keep him at the will. You can you can still have him relay calls from the will if you want him to relay calls. Um, you can, but I would, I wouldn't be surprised if they started to scale Anzalone back a little bit. The problem is, is that you would like Barnes, and Barnes seems like that guy to step up. But is he ready? Is he performing? Is he doing? I, who knows? I don't. Right. I'm not seeing it. Right? Yeah. Like and I then, said, he has to. He has to earn it. You can't right. just do and, it. He has to earn it. And Board seems like a sub package guy right now. Right. And I, he, you know, he, I, I need to go back and rewatch a couple of his snaps, but I thought he lost contain on one yeah. of those end of runs. Right. Yep. The, and the, the game sealer pretty much. Right. And so like when they went, so it was interesting to like how they're approaching it. I actually am not sure if they're going to change it up too much. I do think they might scale. Like I said, re, you know, switch how they're scaling the, the guys. Sure. Um, But you can see like just even on the on the first play of the game, if you just rewatch the first play of the game, Malcolm takes his guy into coverage and he just, and he runs him up and he's completely taken out. And then Anzalone uh, bites on the, uh, on the run. And then he's late to get out to his coverage uh, to the tight end. Now it was a misaligned like formation and stuff. They had a tight end in the backfield and, and everything, but like he has a, Anzalone's job's a little bit harder. Right. So I don't necessarily think, you know, um, Malcolm's going to, you know, step into that job. He's Malcolm's great where he is, right. but can Barnes make that a better decision in that situation? I don't know. Right. Like that's, that's the tricky part about where they're at with their linebackers. I still think Hughes is the guy that I'm looking at saying, man, there's just so many little things like, right. why are you turning inside instead of turning outside? Why are you not passing guys when you're supposed to? Why are you in trail? And then look, you, you hurt them when you put them in man coverage all the time, you know, as well. Like you got to be able to switch things up and maybe Glenn can do that. And maybe that helps, but Hughes looks, looks to me to be like the guy who he made the most mistakes that I've seen recently. But I, I think the, the problem there is like, who do you replace him with? Do you, do you bring up AJ Parker? I mean, those two maybe. are kind of neck and neck in camp. Um, yeah. Maybe that's a guy. In, I, I know what you want to happen. No, I, I don't think they're, I don't think they're going to turn to chase. I don't no, think they're going to put right? two rookies. Right. I don't think they're going to put two rookies in that secondary and just hope and think that that's going to get better. Like that's right. going to get a better long term. Right. But probably but, worse in the short term. Right. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Like that, that's hard because, because they, they're just going to do, they're just going to, they're going to stack receivers on that side where, and then you're going to have, and essentially have, and that's Kirby, you know, on the, on the, on the uh, right side. And then that's where Kirby is. Right. And then you've, then you're going to have two guys, you know, stacked on each other that are both rookies and that, you know, until they get their experience up, it's, that's a hard ask for them to be a better option. Now, look, I love chase. I think he's potentials through the roof. I think he's a better player. I think he's, uh, communications better. He trusts his assignment. He does what he's supposed to do. And and if they trust. go to him, I would love it. And no, but a hundred percent, a hundred percent. How many times did we watch him out on the field and say, he's calling out the plays before you know it. He's not even looking at anybody else. He's just doing his job and he's, and he's shutting his guy down. Now he's still making mistakes because he's a rookie and that's fine, but he understands what's going and he, trust that his teammates are going to do what they're supposed to do. So wouldn't be surprising 
but it would be a little surprising. <laughs> <laughs> what well, what about the other other corner positions? Do you think Amani is in r- any real trouble of, of not, of not until Jerry comes back? Yeah. No, I mean, like, could they could put Will in? But what's I mean, they like Will. What's Will? Good? They do. Wait, here, but I, mean, the, I, I think you're right. I think I think they really like Amani, right? Because mm-hmm. Aaron Glenn came out last week and says, "Listen." I, don't, I did not lose any faith in Amani, despite all the, you know, the six penalties that he put, because that's not the Amani that I see out there every day. That was yeah. that was the aberration. Well, now he's stacked two bad games on top of each other. So at what mm-hmm. point are you like, OK, well, maybe I was wrong about Amani. Maybe Amani's just not feeling right. Maybe it's the back issue. Maybe maybe it's his confidence level. Maybe maybe he's not working well with with his, the safety over top, whatever it is. At what like what's the breaking point there with Amani where you have to be like, OK, He's hurting us too much. We we need to we need to look elsewhere right now. Well, it it has to be if he's not getting it from from a a, a mental standpoint. Like he's not processing the play properly. For example, yeah. uh, Orlovsky put a tweet out today where he uh, where they went zero yep. and they just blitzed everybody. And I don't care I, I, if you want to run zero every once in a while. That's fine. And and like you can argue the the timing of the play call, but whatever. But on that play. Uh, Amani has lock it and he has lock it on the right side. Amani needs to be inside coverage with zero like that. You have, you have to be inside yeah. and he wasn't, he was outside and he gave him and he gave lock at the inside running right. with no safety over the middle. That was an easy throw for, for them to make. And so either Amani thought he had safety help and he didn't, which is a potential problem, right? Which is, which is a thing that if he's not getting that, that's a problem, right? Um, or he's not understanding his, his positioning, which is a, another potential problem. Like, right. or maybe he just made a mistake. Like that, that you know, and then that's correctable. But like, if he's not understanding the assignment, or if he's not um, positioning himself properly, those are those are concerning. It's just it's hard for us to understand yeah. because the what the defensive play call is. It's hard for us. To, we have to like reverse engineer it to try and figure out what the defensive play call is. Sometimes, but. In a situation like that where it's zero, he has to be inside because right. that was way too easy of a throw. Yeah, and, and the idea of having being on the inside is that you're using the, the uh, sideline as, as the extra defender, right? You're, you're yeah. forcing yeah. him to, to have a limited amount of space. It's a to work much with. harder throw, yeah. Um, all right, let's move to another question here. Uh, JTS Max uh, or JTS AMX says, do you think the new attacking front is the problem? I feel like the front four is way too aggressive at playing the run and also way too aggressive on the edge, getting too vertical and breaking contain. Well, you saw the edge do you saw the edge getting a little bit too high um, where the to the tackles were just almost running them out of the play. Yep. Um, I don't think it's I don't think it's an issue on the inside because they're really not getting interior penetration as much as they should be right. uh, unless they blitz. And so um, maybe calm the edges down a little bit. Maybe you have them do run, run more inside moves like, you know, uh, you know, get up field and cut then come back in. Um, maybe you try and work that into your into your playbook or you don't run them both on that arc on the same play. You have you uh, you purposefully have one running a, a different move or you stunt them or something like there's lots of different things that you can do, but there were a couple of times that they were just going, the edges were just going straight upfield. The interior was just holding. And then the secondary was in man. And there was just, they, nobody was getting home and they, and they just made their throws. Right. Yeah. And I, I think that whole, the attacking front thing, I don't think that's, I, I don't think it's part of it that you have these, edge guys overrunning 
their responsibilities. Like that's not part of the scheme. I think that's just the players making a mistake, right? There's no way you want your edge guys to just, like you said, be get, getting too high where the, where they're just yeah. running past quarterbacks. That's not part of it. Um, I think, get, especially given how important the run game is to this coaching staff, there's no way they like, oh yeah, just lose contain. Like that's that's not what's happening here. And so I don't know how much is to blame on the attacking scheme, but it, you know, listening to Dan Campbell today, it did sound like maybe that's something that they are gonna scale back on. You know, that that's mm-hmm. the other thing that besides the the you know, personnel changes. He said, you know, we, we, we do need to scale back some things, make things a little bit easier so that these guys can, can stop overthinking and just kind of play. And it's hard to know what that actually means in terms of X's and O's because, mm-hmm. you know, Campbell's being purposely vague about it, just like he's been vague about some of the personnel changes that are, that are there. But I think part of it is, is just going to be, you know, you, you have to have some, some gap integrity and it, and, and it goes back to trusting your guys that, um, you know, that you're not overdoing what you're doing to, to compensate for anyone else. So I don't know if, if like the overall scheme is necessarily the issue, but uh, there, there's certainly going to be tweaks in there because <laughs> I mean, there's no other way to put it than that what, what they're doing right now is just not accept- acceptable. Um, Lantana says last week you said losing against the Seahawks would be more worrying, uh, with that in the books. Are you even more concerned for the Patriots away game now? Um, trying to remember that exact comment. I don't remember it off the top of the head, but I guess the question was, would you be more concerned losing to Seattle or losing to new England? Um, and yeah, I mean, anytime you, you drop a home game to an, a subpar opponent, that's, that's pretty bad. Um, mm-hmm. at this point, you, you need this Patriots game for a lot of, re- I mean, again, I, I'm, I'm never talking must win games in, in the first half of the season, but you're, you're going to lose the, the fans very quickly. If you lose this game, especially since it means a little bit extra to them to mm-hmm. get back at Patricia, you're, you're going to lose more confidence in the players going into the buy at one in four. And, and you're already talking about a defense that doesn't look confident, confident out there. That's, that's Dan Campbell's words. So the defense doesn't look confident. You, you go in one four. And especially if the defense doesn't look any better against a Patriots team that, that is struggling. I mean, they're, they're starting to find their, their offensive identity. They're a hell of a running team, but they're going to, they they could very well be trotting out a, a third string quarterback. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If, if some of that stuff doesn't settle down, this this would be a pretty humongous loss. Yeah. You also have a couple really good opponents coming out of the bye, uh, yeah. which is potentially pr- troublesome as well, right? So, um, yeah, because if you go down to one and four and then you have two opponents and then you end up one and six, it's going to – I mean, the pitchforks are going to be out, right? Um, so – I do think it's an important game. And I think for a lot of the point, the reasons that you highlighted, but I think it's also going to be a much harder game than what you just, than, than the opponent. Like there, there's a lot of analysts out there that still think Detroit is a better team than Seattle. They just didn't find a way to, to get it done. Right. So um, yeah, I, I, I'm more worried about this team to go back to the original question. I'm, I'm more worried now after losing to Seattle, um than I was like you know the the week prior right and so I'm a little bit more worried about the the next opponent and if they lose again then I'm gonna be a little bit more worried about the next opponent after that too so um is it is it fair to say though like <clears throat> I know I know 
we're talking about a Patriots offense that literally is first in run D, run offense DVOA. They're they're really good sure. at running the ball, but I feel like yeah. that kind of offense plays a little bit better into the line's strength. I know they haven't been great at defending the run lately, but I feel mm-hmm. like a one-dimensional offense like that where you don't really have to worry that much about the Patriots beating you over the top. They don't have a lot of good receivers, and, and like I said, they might be on their third-string quarterback. I feel yeah. like the Lions can key in on that and, and be better. You know, they don't they don't have to worry against. I don't I don't think Bailey Zappi is a very mobile guy, and and if it's not him, I don't think any of the other guys. Mac Jones isn't mobile. Um, Brian Hoyer not mobile. Like, I feel like this is this is kind of a one dimensional offense, and that makes that should make the Lions' defense job a lot easier. And I think that's something that they can be okay at. I I think yeah. I mean, I'm with you. Um, the run is the run is the biggest concern, and I think Jacoby Myers is. He was injured last week. I don't know if he's still going to be injured. You know what I mean? Yeah. We'll have to see how the, the injury report plays out. But if you're missing a couple of weapons, that that hurts as well. Um, it's it's a game. I think they're really they they're really going to have to like dig down and find a way to win that game, even if it's ugly, and if it means running the ball more themselves to try and keep the. I mean, look, if both these teams are running the ball and they're both focused on running the ball. This could be a low possession game. And if sure. it's a low possession game, yeah. that's not the worst thing in the world for the Lions because the Lions, they know how to score. They know how to finish when they, you know, if, if they're running and they're finding success, they find the end zone. And so low possession, find scores, walk away. Yeah. And and as Garrettson points out in our chat, like this is, this is a unique challenge in that they finally are going up against an offense that doesn't have like, this crazy duo of really good receivers and they have good, they have a couple of good tight ends. That's, sure. that's the thing they're going to have to be real sharp about. Um, you know, they weren't they very good really... about it. Yeah, exactly. The Seahawks, they, they, they were not Seattle, great yeah. at it. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, I think, and part of that is because I think part of their, their game plan was surrounded around helping with, with Metcalf and, and Lockett. Um, but this is, yeah. And this is a situation where I think you could see, a guy like Iffy or a guy like Will Harris getting a little bit more run in the slot because you want them matched up against those tight ends. Remember, this was initially what we had thought when we were uh, that Iffy was going to be their tight end matchup right. guy. Right. right. Yeah. And so if he can be it or if Will can be it and you can start focusing on some of those tight ends, maybe that helps that that should help out. All right. Um, last one before we go here. Uh, interesting question here. Uh, Logan Stenberg this Sunday. And I, I bring this up because interesting moment towards the end of last game when uh, uh, Evan Brown goes down with that injury, yeah. um, we see not uh, not Logan Senberg step in, but mm-hmm. uh, is it Is that right? Uh, I believe so. Awosika. Yep. Um, he steps in at uh, at, at mm-hmm. right guard. Um, yeah. So one, what do you make of that? Two, if Evan Brown can't go. What do the Lions do? Yeah, I mean, the, the initial thought that we had in the press box was it's got to be because they're in a pass pro situation, right? right? Um, and then when you look back at this game, so you, if you think, hey, if they want to be more pass oriented, maybe they go back to him again if Evan can't go. But at the same time, it's not like their pass pro on the inside was working really good last week to begin with. True. And if you're, and, and so 
and, and Logan can just bully people. So I still would lean towards playing Logan because I am of the mindset of, I want to run the ball. I want to control the clock. And so I would, I would personally replace uh, Logan in if, if, if Evan Brown's not able to go now, Brown said he was in the locker room. Brown said he was going to be okay. So he wasn't overly yeah. worried and he hung around like all the way till the end too. It's usually if you're hurt and you're hurt, hurt, you're, you bounce out of that locker room pretty quick. Uh, Quintez Cephas, right? Sure. That's why I almost, I almost bowled him over trying to get to the locker room when he was, when he was trying to exit. Yeah. Um. So the fact that he was hanging around, that's a pretty good sign that I think he might be all right. Um. But I would go with Stenberg. And and to be clear, this, this is what uh, Dan Campbell said about Evan Brown on Monday. He says he's got an ankle. I don't think it's long-term, but it's day-to-day. We'll see where it is. So I don't know. Part of me sees that and like, okay, well, it's not a high ankle sprain, yeah. but it might still be an ankle sprain, which, sure. I mean, that that's what... That's what Amar and Ra is dealing with. That's what what I think. Uh, shark, Swift, and Shark, and like all those guys. So, mm-hmm. wouldn't surprise me sure. if if Brown misses a game or two. Um, but I don't. I don't know. Like I, 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 I'm with you that I think the Awasika made more sense in that situation because it was a late game and they were going to throw on every down. But I'm I'm not sure there's there's not more to that as well. And so that'll be something I keep an eye on this week at practice. So Lions retake the field on Wednesday. Uh, we'll have all that on pride Detroit.com. We'll have our preview podcast Thursday here on twitch.tv slash pride of Detroit. It'll be up on our podcast feed Friday. Uh, but until then, uh, I think we're going to close things out here. Eric, thank you for joining me as always. We'll be back again next Tuesday around this time. One PM ish is what we're going to try to aim for going forward. Um, Thank you for everyone in our live audience. Thank you for everyone that is listening at home and everyone who gives reviews to the podcast. Very much appreciate all that. But until next time, it's chaos. Be kind. (laughs) 